This is week number three in our study of the book of Daniel. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the historical background, the setting, the themes, that type of stuff. And so last week we got into this brief discussion, really, about the abomination of desolation. And the reason we went there is because Christ in chapter 24 of Matthew references what Daniel wrote about. So we just did a kind of an overview, a survey of that to see that what you think about that, what you think about what Christ said in Matthew 24 impacts you in your theology and your eschatology. What you believe that Christ was talking about and has those, has those events happened since he spoke about them, are they yet future, has significant implications into your eschatology and the way you think about the world order today. And so we just did a brief overview of that, just kind of touched on it so that we could show you that these things impact you. What we're studying in Daniel, what we'll ultimately study in our eschatology, in what the prophets said and what has happened and what will happen, all of that impacts the way that you think about the world and the way that you live today, the way that you evangelize and the way that you... Um, you share your faith. The things that you believe about the end times impact you in your daily life. And so we looked at the abomination of desolation last week just to get a, a glimpse of where we're headed. And then we also talked about the major theme of Daniel. And Daniel gives us that in chapter 2 and verses 20 through 22 where he talks about God has not just set this, created this world and walked away from it but he is intimately and personally involved in the unfolding of his plan for his creation. We looked at the fact that it is God who sets the times and the the seasons. He's the one who causes to happen the things that have been ordained to happen in his holy will. He also establishes kings and removes kings. God is in authority over his creation and he gives that authority to certain persons at certain times whether they be good or bad they're all established by God he's the one who unveils the things that are in darkness that are closed off that have not been known that have been sealed and he knows the things that are in the dark places but with him there's only light this is all of what Daniel quotes as being the theme of this book is that God is sovereignly in control of his creation and he's personally involved in what happens in the unfolding of his will and he always will be, always has been. And so Daniel makes this explicitly clear over in chapter 2. And so we'll get there in good time and we'll walk through that. But just know that Probably nowhere else in Scripture is this fact that God is sovereign over his creation and involved in what happens and knows what is going to happen better revealed than it is in the book of Daniel. When we get to chapter 10, there's over a hundred prophecies that have been fulfilled in history perfectly just in chapter 10 alone. God unfolded what was going to happen in the Grecian Empire, in the Roman Empire, in the exchange of powers, in excruciating detail. And Daniel predicted that way back when he wrote this book, somewhere in the 500s. 
probably somewhere around 540, 550, something like that. And so hundreds of years before it happened. And that's why men who, who don't believe those truths, don't believe that God is sovereign, is, knows what's going to happen, is predicting the future and has unfolded what it will take place, they don't believe this book was written when we believe it was written. It had to be written afterwards. No one could have known those details beforehand. But we know God is sovereign and knows all. And so this book is rich in the sovereignty of God and in the control <coughs> by God of his creation. And we looked at that. Even, you know, Paul believed that. We looked over in the book of Romans to see that Paul knew that all authority comes from God. That there's no one who is established in authority apart from God being involved in that establishment. Whether they be good or bad, it's still God who's involved in that establishment of their authority. So this morning we're actually going to get into the book, believe it or not. Two weeks of trying to get ready for the book. So today we're going to cover in rapid fire succession 16 verses, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. You doubt me, right? I hear you. I can hear you scoffing even now. This is a narrative passage, as you'll understand, and we, and we can move through it quickly. It's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon you, right? There's more of you than there is of me. So beginning in chapter 1 of Daniel, verse 1. There the scripture reads, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. 
But Daniel said to the overseer, who the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Okay, so here we have the the opening passage in the book of Daniel. And you'll remember the setting is at a time of very dark times for Israel. The northern kingdom over a hundred years ago had been taken into captivity by Assyria. Not only had they been taken into captivity, all the people led away, but other peoples from other lands had been brought into the land that they occupied and filled their cities and their land. So there was no place for them to ever come back to because there were already other people living in those cities. And then for Judah, the southern kingdom, lasted another 120 years or so, but they likewise were taken off into captivity by Babylon. And that's the setting for our scene today. It's in Babylon where all the people, especially the nobles and those of um, uh, the noble families, had been taken. All the poor people and the people who were what the Babylonians considered not worth much were left in um, Judah. But all the people of significance, all the leaders, all the warriors, all the tribesmen, all the ones who were in authority, all those people have been deported to Babylon. And so this is a very bleak time. This is the time in which Daniel lived. Daniel was one of those who got deported in the first siege by Nebuchadnezzar of Jerusalem. Now, ultimately, there are three sieges by Nebuchadnezzar of the city of Jerusalem. The third one ultimately (coughs) destroying the city, destroying the temple that Solomon built. And so this is not long in history from the time which David got the instructions from God of what to build the temple like around 1000, 1020 B.C. And now here we are um, down at 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar first comes in and the temple ultimately, within the next 10 years, is ultimately destroyed. So it didn't last very long in, in the grand scheme of God. And so this is the setting for where we're at today. And we've already talked about this, so we don't have to spend a lot of time with it. There in verse 1, he says that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that Nebuchadnezzar came. This is Nebuchadnezzar's first raid of the city of Jerusalem. He He had been there before because there's a very specific reason why Nebuchadnezzar came in the third year of Jehoiakim. Do you remember what it is? You remember that Pharaoh Necho first went went into Judah and caused them to give him alms, to give him treasuries, that every year he would tax them, and they had to give things to him. Then ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar defeated the Pharaoh, and he came into Jerusalem and said, every year, 
you have to tax your people and give me the treasuries. And so he did that. Jehoiakim did that. It's very clear. But why in the third year of Jehoiakim did Nebuchadnezzar come and make siege and carry off the people? Yeah, he quit paying him. You remember that, right? That um, over in 2 Kings chapter 24, the Jehoiakim for three years did what Nebuchadnezzar demanded of him. Then he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar thinking that the Pharaoh would come and help him. Bad calculation didn't happen. Pharaoh stayed home because Nebuchadnezzar had already beaten him back into his own homeland. And so he came and made siege of Jerusalem. Now, look over in 2 Kings 24. I just want to touch on this again so that we make sure we stay true to the theme of Daniel. 2 Kings 24. Just the first couple of verses here. And this is the, the event that is being spoken of here. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him, against Jehoiakim, bands of Chaldeans, bands of Arameans, bands of Moabites, and bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants and his prophets. So there's no doubt the Chaldeans are the Babylonians, okay? They're synonymous. They live, the Babylonians lived in the land of Chaldea. That's why they're called the Chaldeans. It encompassed more than just the city of Babylon, but that's why they're called Chaldeans. Okay, why were these kings and peoples able to come in and overrun Jerusalem? Why? Because God was with them to do so, right? Isn't that exactly what he says? In in verse 2, Then the Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans. So this is the working of God against his chosen nation, even the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem. So this is God orchestrating what he wanted to happen according to the prophecy that he gave through (laughs) Jeremiah that they would be taken into captivity if they didn't repent. They did not. Then verse 3 of chapter 24 Surely at the command of the Lord it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done. Who's Manasseh? He was the king after Hezekiah. Came Manasseh. Manasseh was king for 55 years. He became king when he was 12 years old. So he was 67 ultimately when he lost his kingship. But I want you to see what the sins of Manasseh were. Because this is the reason that God sent the people of Nebuchadnezzar against them. So turn back a couple of chapters in 2 Kings. And look at 2 Kings 21. And just listen to this evil, evil king. 2 Kings 2.21 verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name began with an H. (laughs) He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispensed before the sons of Israel. 
for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through the fire, practice witchcraft, and use divination, which dealt in mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And then he goes on and on, and it names the name. You know, this is an evil king, is he not? He, he sets up idols in the temple itself. He makes an Asherah, which is a wooden <coughs> carving uh, of, of a goddess, and makes people to worship it. Worse than that, beyond the divinations and the spiritualists and all the hosts of heaven, those aren't God's hosts, those are evil hosts of heaven, he made his sons pass through the fire. He and his people practiced um, offerings to the gods of their living children. They would burn them to death before the fires of the altars. And so this is, this is why God was so outraged with the nation of Judah. Why he sent the Babylonians against them. Not only was Jehoiakim evil, but the kings before him had been evil. After Hezekiah, it's pretty much downhill completely until the destruction at the end. There's no good king after that. And, and the, the ones that uh, Pharaoh Necho set up and the ones that Nebuchadnezzar set up did evil in the sight of God, every one of them. None of them were any good. Go ahead. Uh, on Isaiah 39, Hezekiah caused this destruction of the... Because it mentions here... Yeah, Hezekiah did a lot of good things. At the end of his life, when God grant him life of 15 years... Right. Babylon, he allowed Babylon to show all his kingdom. Right. And Isaiah said, by doing that, Babylon will take everything you got. And he was right. He was right. That's like 100 years, 1,500 years before. He... Before this. Yeah. yeah, and Hezekiah was a good king. Most of what he did was righteous. But there are some things that Hezekiah did that weren't so righteous. And so, you know, God ultimately brought judgment against this nation. This is the time in which Daniel lived. Daniel saw the prophecies, he saw the destruction, and now he's one of the ones who's been deported. And so back in Daniel chapter 1, you know, we know this, right? Verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that's into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Who, was, who caused this to happen? Who caused Nebuchadnezzar to come in against the... God did, right? Then, okay, I have a question for you then. If he did that, why would he allow the utensils and ultimately everything that's in the temple? In this first raid, they only took some of them. Later, when they come back for the second and third raid, they take everything that's of value in the temple. Why would God allow this evil nation and king to come in and take all the holy things out of the temple and take them to his God's temple. Why would he do that? Keep them together and preserve them. Because the, they allowed their stuff into his kingdom, in his uh, uh, holy the holies. The stuff that they, they actually took. But, but what ultimately happens to the temple? 
destroyed. And you're right. If the utensils had been in the, tem- in the temple when it was destroyed and destroyed with fire, they would have melted and they would have been lost forever. So to protect those utensils, God had them taken to the evil king's house of his God. Weren't now, they later brought oh, they're definitely, back? yeah, they're brought back with Zerubbabel, really. is after Zerubbabel builds, rebuilds the temple, then those come back. Never, never do we have the same practice as we had at the original temple. Never of that quality and of that stature. But yes, they began the sacrifices again because in the time of Christ, which is in the temple that Zerubbabel built and that the, um, the Romans really expanded, they're doing the sacrifices. They have all the utensils. Now the question is, where are they today, right? Where are they today? Because they weren't there when Rome destroyed the temple. So where are they? They're out there somewhere, right? God's preserving them from our time when the sacrifices will be started again, I believe. There is yet another temple coming, and, and they will offer sacrifices. Maybe not as God ordained or God prescribed, but that will happen again. So those are hidden for the time being, and, but ultimately will be discovered, and some of them have been discovered. Um, there's a great website, I don't remember who it is, who gave that to me. <coughs> who gave me the website of the... Uh, that shows all the things that have been recovered for the temple. Temple Institute? Yeah. You're the one who gave it to me, didn't you? You sent me a link, and it's a cool link. I'll, uh, I'll bring it to you what it is. But it shows um, these would not be believers. These would be people who want to start the sacrifices again because they believe that's what is still prescribed by God. But yet, many of the articles have been found and have been recovered, but not all of them. And, and so when you go to this website, you have to be careful. These are unbelievers. These are people who do not believe that Christ was the Messiah. And so you have to know that as you look at it. So I'll, I'll debate whether I actually give it to you or not. <laughs> because I don't want you to be taken in by people who believe that Christ was not the Messiah and that the sacrifices needed to be started again to satisfy God. That's what they believe, though. So God is yet um, preserving a remnant of believing Jews and preserving the nation so that they can fulfill his purposes at the end of the age. And so all of that's being orchestrated by God. But you see these vessels were taken really to protect them. Right? Then we get to verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles. Right now, then he goes on to give the qualities of these guys. Who are these guys? These now realize these are young teenagers at best. These are young people. These are like ten, twelve, fourteen, probably not sixteen. So young, and look at the qualities that he names. What are these qualities supposed to be? Ashpenaz, go out and get these guys who have these qualities only. No No defects. So what do they have to be? handsome they have to be good looking right it says even that right in some of your translations these have to be good looking guys go ahead yeah i just want to go back the land of shinar right just want to point that out that's where the the land the tower of babel was built right you go back 
This this land of Babylon, Babylonians, of the Assyrians, the land of Chaldea, all that area is key in all the history of what has taken place in the nation of Israel. I mean, it, it is is prominent. This is where the Mesopotamia is. Is so. This is a land of um, that is prominent in all of Scripture where Babylon is at, and ultimately will be prominent again, I believe. City of Babylon. Now, a lot of people think that's figurative and just talking about evil because evil came out of Babylon. I happen to think it's not figurative, that it's literal. But we'll get there in about four years. Okay? And we'll talk about those kind of things. Go ahead. Actually, that was not his real name. It's been changed by Nico. That's right. Change his name. That's right, and there's a reason for that, and we'll and we'll talk about that as we get a little further in this passage. All right, what else are their qualities? They have to be handsome, young guys. What else? Skillful, Skillful and smart. Now, how do you determine that in a ten or twelve year old? I have no idea. Okay. What else does he say? Competent. Competent. I mean, these are young people. These are people who have not been trained in what he wants them. So if I'm Ashpenaz, who am I going to go pick? Royalty. Good-looking kids. Because that's about all you can judge at this point, is they have to be good-looking kids. So he gets all these really good-looking young men, okay? And he brings them together. So that's what's going on in verses 3 and 4. Now, the purpose for Nebuchadnezzar is so that they might serve in his court. And he says, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Okay, what language would these guys have been speaking? Probably Aramaic, right? Some of their parents probably knew Hebrew, but mainly Aramaic, maybe some Hebrew mixed in there. All right, now, Nebuchadnezzar says, teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Why? Why? Why does he need to change their language? Because they want him to serve them, so they've got to learn his language. All right, that'd be one reason. They got to serve, they're going to serve in his court. Why does he want to change their identity? It's a preservation of themselves as Hebrews anymore, but Babylonians. And the literature of the Chaldeans would have included what? Their religion, right? So he's trying to disassociate them with everything they've been identified with up until this point in their lives. He's going to change their language. He's going to change their beliefs. He's going to change what they hear, what they see, what they believe. He's going to, yeah, we'll talk about why does he change their names even. He's trying to de-identify them as Jewish young men. Trying to brainwash them, basically. Go ahead, David. I'm curious to change something else because the New King James says eunuch. Yeah. Leader of the eunuch. That's who's in charge of them, right? That's who's in charge of them. Didn't say these young men became eunuchs. Right. Let's hope not. Okay. So he's trying to basically brainwash them so that they will not think like they previously thought. Now. He, he goes on, and he says, 
Then the king appointed for them a daily ration of the king's choice food and his wine. Why would he change even their diet? Right. That's exactly right. He's trying. I mean, there would be things if you grew up as a Jew that you could not eat because the dietary restrictions are very detailed about what you can eat and what you can not eat. He was trying to do away with that because that would be association with their God, not his gods. Now, not only does he, all right, this food that would have been served to the king, this served to these young men, what would be true about that food? Before, it would be offered to idols, exactly. So this would be absolutely forbidden by the law of God, by the book of Moses, by the laws that God gave to Moses and prescribed for the people. Even if it was good food that had been offered to idols, you still couldn't eat it because that would be participating in idol worship. So he's trying to destroy everything that they believe. If you get a kid that's 18, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that's why he chose the young ones. Now, look at how many years? Three years, day and night, all day, every day, indoctrinated into the way of the Chaldeans. Nothing else. That's all you got for three years. And when you're 12 years old, three years is forever, right? At the end of three years, you're going to believe whatever you've heard day and night for three years. So this is what they're doing. This is the purpose of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He knew well, forget about the ones who are older. We'll get these who are 10, 12, 14, and we'll indoctrinate them, and they will become Chaldeans. That's what he's after. Is it work with the kids than the older? Oh, no question. You can influence children, right? And now, and think about something else. These children had seen many of their relatives and the people they admired slaughtered by these people, by the Babylonians. But here are these kids, and what's being done to them? Like wow. Treated like the king is being treated, <coughs> right? You would not have argued about your situation if you were one of these young men. Besides, you may have seen your parents killed, and this is all you got. And there you're treated like royalty. I mean, you're given the best food, the best wine in the land. You have the best education. People are taking care of you in, in an extreme way. So you can see what's going on here with these children. And they would have forgotten all the, all the evil for all the good that they were receiving. <coughs> so, and, and you go on here. So that's what he's trying to do. And then he says, God points out that, hey, there happens to be four of these guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Four guys out of all those that were taken. What do you have to presume about all the others? They came. They, came. they, just, they just did what they were told to do. They were given this food to eat, they just ate it. They were given the education, the language, yeah, I'll learn that language, I'll just I'll, I'll fall in order. Because nobody else is mentioned, just these four. So your presumption is the others just ate the food. You think they have godly parents, these kids? It's actually to, to have grounded in the Word. You talking about these four kids? Somewhere, somehow, these four kids 
understood the law of Moses. Now, they lived in a bad time. Their king was bad. He worshipped idols. Most of the people worshipped idols. But somehow, God doesn't tell us how, these four were taught right. And especially Daniel was taught right. Who taught him? We don't know. But we know that he learned right. And he would have been a child hearing the preaching of Jeremiah that if you don't repent, you're going to be taken into captivity. Jeremiah would have been in the temple promoting that, preaching that, day and night. And so he would have heard Jeremiah's prophecy. Okay, so here we come down, and you have these four, and then it says, Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned Belshazzar, and to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now, you who grew up in church, what are the names of these guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? But what's Daniel's name? Daniel. Why is that? Why is that? That we know their changed names of the other three, but Daniel we know by his real name. And so the book is part of the reason. It doesn't go with the song. It's not as musical, right? Well, the new ones aren't easy to spell. <laughs> Belshazzar? I mean, come on. B-E-L-T-E-S-H-A-Z-Z-A-R? Teach, teach a child to spell that, right? Try Nebuchadnezzar. That's even harder. <laughs> the narrative basically, Daniel calls himself Daniel throughout the rest of the book. Yeah. But they are referred to later as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, they are. And that's yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so, I mean, we know, I don't know why that is, okay? But we do. We know them by their changed names, by the Chaldean name, as opposed to their Hebrew name. Yeah, but names, that's... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. The names related to their God, the Hebrew name, and the other name oh. related to the God of the Chaldean. Yeah. Um, MacArthur helped me here. So here's what these names mean, okay? You can see the contrast. Daniel means God is my judge. Belshazzar means Bel, a god, protect the king. So that's why he changed his name. Now, don't get him confused with the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, he's probably not a son, but Belshazzar without the T-E. Same name without the T-E. Then Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Shadrach, Commander of AQ, another god. Then you have Mishael, who is like the Lord, pointing to his one true God. His name is changed to Meshach, who is what AQ, same God, is. See? Replacing God with the God of the Babylonians. And then finally, Azariah, the Lord is my helper. Name changed to Abednego, servant of Nego, a god of vegetation. So you can see their names are associated with false gods to change their focus from the one true God to the Babylonian gods. That's why they changed their names, as you said. And that would have been true not just of these four guys. That would have been true of all of them. Change their name, 
to represent something that's associated with the Babylonian religion as opposed to with the Jewish religion. So, total indoctrination here of these young men, only these four stand out as significant and different from all the others. So we go down to verse 8. Now I want you to notice this. But Daniel made up his mind. Some of your translations would say determined in his heart or something like that. Made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Notice Daniel doesn't go on a food strike. What's he do? He asked the chief commander, can I just have something other than what you're going to feed all the other guys? So he's respectful. He's not pitching a fit. He's not trying to get his way by some manipulation or anything like that. He goes and asks permission. Now, the next verse is very interesting. Goes right along with our theme, does it not? Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Who was a believer, right? <laughs> no. No. So, what is God doing here? I think the person will kill uh, Daniel on the spot if he would have that. <laughs> he, maybe. Maybe. you got to remember, these guys have been given into Ashpenaz's hands so that he might train them for service to the king. So don't be killing a bunch of them. Okay, because these are the choice guys. Right, but Daniel asks him, and God caused him to have favor. How does God do that? The Lord directs the hearts, even of evil men. Even of evil men. Who's in control of this world? Who's involved with this world? So much that he changed the heart of this evil leader to have compassion on Daniel. (coughs) Gave him favor. God is able to do that. And he does do that in this particular verse. Daniel understands this. And we'll see that. So God granted him favor. But look at what the commander says. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord my king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the use of your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head. Does he do what Daniel asked him to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He says, I would, but I can't. I can't do that, Daniel, because the king will have my head. And he believed that if they didn't eat this choice food that they would look skinny and malnourished and that they would be um, not as good looking as the other guys. So he does not. And why can I be so bold and say that? Because you know with the rest of the story, right? Look at who he talks to in the next verse. Look at who Daniel is addressing in the next verse. But Daniel said to the overseer who the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel and his friends. So he's talking to the same guy? No. So what's that tell you about Daniel? (laughs) He had determined in his heart that he was not going to eat this food. 
he goes to the chief guy, and the chief guy says, I would, but I just can't. So then he goes to the next guy who's appointed over him, the overseer, who's underneath the commander of the officials, and says, listen, I got a deal for you. And so then he lays out the deal in the next verses. So, but Daniel said to the overseer, who the commander of the officials had appointed, please test, notice, do what? Please test. This is a respectful young guy. Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the, of the use who are eating according to the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. What does that mean? What does that mean? Deal with your servants according to what you see. Bad results, then we'll do what you say. That's right. Daniel's saying if we look more haggard than the other guys, then you deal with us and make us eat the food if you want to. So, what does that tell you about Daniel? He is, well, he's not only is he submitting and asking please, and, and God shows him favor and all of that, but he also trusts that if he obeys God as opposed to eating this food, that God will bless him for it. This is a young guy. You know, this is a, you know, maybe he's 14, but probably not, who has this faith to believe that if he is obedient to God, God will provide and take care of him. That's astounding. This young guy. Go ahead, David. This this God-giving favor begins in verse 8 where Daniel and the, the uh, translations resolve right. set his heart upon it. Some talk about his intent. Usually at the, at the pinnacle of the difficult decision is not when we have, have already made up our mind. And I would say that it goes back to Jerusalem mm-hmm. and preparation and foundation that he made up his mind. Like Colossians 3 for us. You have been baptized. You have been raised. Therefore, set your heart on things above. And we have to prepare to do that before we get into the choice before us. Or it's too late many times. Absolutely. And and you're right. It goes back to, I mean, when he saw, we're going to give you this food, in his mind, he's like, oh, I can't do that. It's already made up. I can't do that. Because that would be to disobey God. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the purpose of the dietary laws? Why did God lay out these very detailed, very prescribed, this you can eat, this you can't eat, don't touch that, don't go there. What, what's the purpose of the dietary laws? Right, they are healthy. Yeah, look over, I want to show you this. Look over in Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Chapter 11. And we won't look at all the laws. We, I mean, that's not the issue here. The thing I want to look at is what's the purpose for the laws? Leviticus 11, the last three or four verses, starting 44. Leviticus 11:44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. 
and you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the new law regarding the animals and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the clean, unclean and the clean and between the edible creature and the creature that is not to be eaten. What's the purpose of the dietary laws? To make them holy and distinct as the people of God. That's why God laid out those laws. Very, very, and they are healthy, by the way, but very, very detailed and prescription given in the previous passage in Leviticus 11. The purpose was so that they might be wholly consecrated to God. That's why Daniel says, I can't eat that stuff. I have a question. <coughs> it says to, to make distinction between the unclean and the clean. Yeah. Um, are they not referring here to the creatures themselves? Or could they possibly be referring both to the people also themselves? Between the clean and the unclean. The clean... Yeah, clearly in the law. And then Paul kind of messed that up, and so did Peter, right? All things are good, yeah. But this was given so that these people would be distinct and different from the Babylonians, from the Moabites, from all those other people who would eat this stuff. But the, the Jews did not. To be a distinct people... And that clean and unclean is what God declared to be clean and unclean, right? Later changed that. But also the people to be clean and unclean. His nation, his chosen nation versus the nations that weren't chosen. Good. Well, we have to remember that in Acts 10, when he declared those foods to be clean, mm-hmm. it was in the context of Peter being unwilling to go to a, uh, I guess, a centurion's house. Right. Uh, Jesus, I mean, God was saying to Peter there, do not declare what I've called clean, clean. In other words, these these people, I'm bringing them into my kingdom, and they're going to be clean. Right. Just like, and he made the point with the food, just like the Jews were to be separate, separate from the people, and that the law was a symbol, I mean, the dietary laws were a symbol of that. Here again, God's using the same symbol to declare that now these people are clean. And, and that message was so profound to Peter that later... In the, in the court that took place in Jerusalem, he stood up and gave testimony of what God had shown him and what God did in that house of Cornelius because it was so profound and different from the way the Jews thought. And at that point, you know, then the letter goes out that James wrote to all the churches saying that we don't put these requirements on these churches um, because God has said they're clean. And so that's how profound that was to Peter, that he stood up eventually in front of all the leaders in Jerusalem, both the good and the bad, and gave testimony of what God showed him in that house. So you're right. It's more about the people than it is about the food. Much more. Okay, so we have this determination by Daniel. Daniel cleverly goes to the man who's over him and says, I'll make a deal with you. And then verse 14, this is the overseer. So he listened to them in this matter 
and tested them for 10 days. You have the same thing going on in this guy's heart and mind that went on in the overseer, I mean, in the uh, commander's mind, right? See these young guys, they're just asking. And 10 days would not be enough to harm anything. You know, if, if after 10 days these guys didn't look so good, then Daniel had already said, we'll do whatever you say. And he would have started feeding them the good food. So it's not like the, command, uh, the overseer is taking a huge risk here and that he's going to be executed if these guys look a little tired. And so Daniel makes a reasonable offer to him. And the overseer listens to him. I mean, imagine it. Here you are, this overseer, who's given these scrawny little kids, and your job is to whip them into shape, right? And you have this one little guy coming to you and saying, can we please just eat vegetables and water? So you go, what's with you, kid? Right? But he listened to him. That's God at work in the heart and mind. Go ahead. I just had this, this random thought. Random? Yeah. Imagine 12 to 16-year-olds having unlimited amounts of wine oh. versus water. If 12 to 16-year-olds had unlimited quantities of wine, they would have fit right into the Babylonian social structure. Yeah, but just what would they look like oh, in yeah. 10 days? Probably not so good. Their eyes may have been a little red. They were so desirous to eat only vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So, here's God at work honoring Daniel's faith, right? So they look better than all the other guys. So this, what do you think the overseer thought? I'm switching diets. <laughs> I mean, impacted him. What do you think the four young guys thought? What did this do for the four young guys? Oh, absolutely. Here's, I mean, their faith is now multiplied because they had been faithful to follow what God had ordained for the people. And in response to that, God blesses them such that they look better than anybody else. I mean, they're now exemplary as compared to being haggard, right? These are the best-looking guys now. They're the fittest. They're fatter. That doesn't mean they have layers of fat, right? I mean, these guys look good compared to the rest of them. So God had honored the faith that Daniel, and, and I, I give Daniel credit for this because it looks like the other guys just go along with Daniel. It's Daniel who goes and makes the request twice. And these other guys give him credit. They, they joined with him, but it's Daniel who's the leader, the clear leader of this pact. No doubt about it. So what about what it sounds like that uh, Daniel really it does. And maybe he was older than they were. We, we don't know, right? I mean, you can speculate all kinds of things, but it's clear that Daniel is the one who led. He's the one who went and asked. And he didn't stop after asking once. He asked a second time. Go ahead. I think it also <coughs> encourages us to be respectfully persistent. Yeah. Take that for an answer. We feel very strongly 
about something that we should do something about it. I know I have one of my children, um, a real example to me, they were going to participate in a fundraising activity and there was something that was going to be printed on the shirts that was very offensive and so they went to the person in charge and said, you know, this is this is offensive, is there any way we could have something else on the t-shirts that we're all going to wear and went respectfully and they, they <coughs> for whatever reason that I'm sure. thinking how God can use us to make a difference when we have a strong conviction to not give up so easily. You know, and this is what we've talked about. To the point in which you're not commanded to sin, you follow the authority. But when the authority commands you to sin is where you don't go there. But notice that Daniel was commanded to sin, but still was respectful, still was asking please, still yielded and gave a reasonable um, alternative as opposed to pitching a fit and sitting down and saying, I'm not going to eat that food. And I could have done any of those things, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't. He maintains composure. He maintains um, a, a, a servant's attitude in asking, not demanding. He presents something that's very reasonable. Not months, just 10 days. Just give us 10 days. And so... With that, God works in the hearts of these people to give him favor. And it really results in the best for that overseer because he's got the best-looking guys who are underneath him now. He's doing an outstanding job. Go ahead, John David. I think there's a neat play here in, in the, the way that it's presented because you have Daniel, who's named God is my judge. He, this whole yeah. thing uh-huh. You've got Hananiah, which named, mean named God is gracious. God is gracious. He gives them grace and favor and compassion. And then you have Mishael. The whole thing is to distinguish that they are from God. They are set apart. They are distinct from theirs around them. And then, you know, Azariah, who God is my help, and God is the one who ordains the whole situation. You have all of the meanings of those names at play here, separating them out. That's gorgeous, isn't it? Just the way God works. You know, what he ordains. And and just the way he is able to direct and get the results that he desires. He's clearly clearly in control of this situation. I mean, there's no doubt in not only our minds today looking back on it, but in Daniel's mind in the midst of it. <coughs> See, Daniel understands this. And here he is now, 70 years old, <coughs> writing about what happened to him you know, 60-something years ago, and more than that, seven, over 70 years ago, and he remembers it distinctly and understands exactly what was happening at the moment. And so he conveys it to us so that we might understand it. About this passage and, and what happens here, what happens is really a miracle. Oh, yeah. Because the people know that this diet is going to cause them to become haggard. Mm-hmm. They've seen it, they've experienced it, and they know that that's what's going to happen to them. So Daniel, when he's presenting this, he doesn't. He, he knows he can't go to them and talk about his Jewish religion. Right, no. So instead of trying to do that, he eliminates all the meat, the uncleaning, anything that could be clean or what, mm-hmm. and goes to the extreme and says, I'll do this, trusting that God's going to honor that. Yeah. And so God really performs a miracle here to keep them holy and right. set apart. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This is God at work. 
you know, so don't go out and eat nothing but vegetables, okay? Unless that's what your religion tells you to do or something. You know, I, and I'm okay with vegetables, okay? Nobody in this room likes vegetables more than I do, I promise. This green, I'll eat it, okay? I mean, I, I am a vegetable guy, but you do need protein. You know, and yes, you can get protein different ways, but, um, you know, this is God working in, in the midst of an evil generation and evil people to distinguish men who have faith in him. That's what's going on here. And you're right, it's nothing short of a miracle. And these guys now, in, in the next verse, the last verse we'll look at today, 16 verses today. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine that they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. This goes on for how long? Three years. This goes on. They were in training for three years and are distinguished and look better than the guys around them. And I guarantee you they learned the languages. They, you know, they, under, they learned the literature. They, under, they excelled beyond all the other guys. And later we'll see that. That Daniel absolutely did. Excels everybody. So this is the first story, right? This is a story you've heard about before in uh, the book of Daniel. Um, we'll come to the next story that you know well soon. So, but you see the significance of what's happening here in chapter 1. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, Daniel is set apart from everybody else. Yeah, he's got his three friends who ultimately are promoted and all of that. And they're in good stead, but not like Daniel. Daniel's a unique individual chosen by God for specific purposes and specific reasons. This is, if Daniel would have failed this test, God would have given the prophecy of Gabriel to somebody else. But Daniel's faithful. And so 70 years later, he's given the privilege to write down the prophecies that Gabriel gave him. So this, this is, like you said, God is my judge. This is a test of Daniel's commitment to God. And he passes. Yeah. I think an application here, a takeaway, is we've all worked with people or on school with people or whatever that name the name of Christ and are troublemakers because they see, you know, well, that's wrong. We're not going to do that. And, they, and they, they make a big stink out of things. But then their lives don't necessarily bear up either. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that we should take away from Daniel is, A, you should be absolutely humble in your approach to if they're asking you to sin or whatever. Um, but secondly, your life better bear up the testimony. I mean, Daniel and, and God, give, God did give them favor and God gave them knowledge, but they had to cooperate with that. They were excellent among the Gentiles or the, among the people. In the same way, uh, the Bible tells us that our behavior is to be excellent among mm-hmm. the Gentiles. And so my encouragement to everybody is, if you're working at a place or you're whatever, you need to be the best that you can possibly be mm-hmm. so that people would not be able to look at your work ethic or, or everything and have any reason at all to discredit you on what you should be doing. Yep. And I think that was the case with Daniel and his friends. Absolutely, which goes perfectly with your sermon this morning, right? Mm-hmm. That we are to be the excellent people regardless of what's going on around us. Always, all the time, every day, all day. So Daniel was, and God blessed him for it. Final comments? Something you want to say? It speaks to attitude in a big way. Oh. You know, we, we like to 
similar situation. Yeah. yeah, these guys were in the King's Court, but they were in, they were sort They were prisoners, yeah. Right. Submit to God is where He has me, and that I'm going to do what God would have me to do in this situation. Yeah, they're taken away from everything that's familiar to them, and put in this foreign land. Can't go to the temple and worship like they previously did. Can't do any of that that was associated with their upbringing. They have to now become servants to the Chaldeans. Go ahead. And can't lose sight either of the diligence. I'm sure after about four weeks of. of <laughs> other guys are eating steak and drinking wine, the temptation, I mean, three years of, of this dietary restriction when everyone else who were probably friends or peers or, or guys are they grew up with yeah. have fallen into the system. Right. I, I mean, it doesn't speak necessarily to the ridicule maybe that they may have gotten, but they had to notice at some point these guys are eating, you know, potatoes. But Absolutely. I don't... But God continued to remain faithful that they were still better than the other guys. They still looked better. Well, I mean, the but, diligence of Daniel oh, the yeah. guy to stick with the plan. But, but, <laughs> they, but they saw the results, right? Right, right. I mean, God continued to bolster their faith. Yeah. It is amazing because you would think that after a while they would have not been able to keep up, especially considering the things that are getting ready to happen to them. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and yet they continue on. You'll see that same test and that same faith grow, obviously, in all the stories we know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's God being faithful to increase their faith that later Daniel might do what he does. What up? One other thing that jumped out at me was basically Daniel uh, kind of painted himself into this corner and said, it was all on God. Absolutely. Desperately dependent upon God to do something. Absolutely. God either was coming through or Daniel would have to eat the food, and, which he wouldn't do, so he would probably be killed. I find it interesting that the response of Daniel and the other young men, you would think, you know, if we were taken from America and our kids were sent to Iraq mm-hmm. to be in the court of one of the Arabian princes and taught their their. You know, um, language, their language, literature, change their names, their religion. Wouldn't we want them to say, "No, I'm, I'm just going to die on my sword and refuse to be tainted"? Yeah. But instead, God's plan for Daniel was to learn astronomy and to learn sure. and become a wise man, which then later carried through to the wise men that followed the star. Daniel helped prophesy that, and it was his teaching. So <coughs> I find that. You know, as Christians, sometimes we say, "I'll never, I would never do that. I would, I would die rather than learning mm-hmm. the Quran." That's essentially what they were doing. Oh yeah, it's, it's no different. I agree. And they, it's done. Yeah, yes, but never yielding to it. But never right. yielding. Never yielding to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the book of, of the Hebrew book Daniel's not is not. I mean, in a category of the prophets, they're actually put in the back of Ezra and all that, but never in the prophets. I was wondering, why is that? Daniel's given prophecies, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly. But I was wondering why the Hebrew books... I, I would... Never, help me, John David. I would call it a prophet. Yes, but it's considered part of the Ketamine, which are the writings, and so because of what it details and lays out, it's, chron- it's there with chronicles and some of the later writings. Because they're later. 
Yeah. Both because they were later as well as the, the tenor is a little bit different with the first start being all of the, the stories and what go on, much like we have with Chronicles. Yeah. And, and contemporary with Daniel would have been Ezekiel, who was born after Daniel, died before Daniel, and, and Zechariah, who was a little older than Daniel, but died before Daniel died. So Daniel doesn't live beyond, you know, they actually return to their land when Daniel's still alive. He lives beyond the captivity. Okay, just remember what it sounded like when you were in church. So don't do that today.